Go ahead, if you would, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to begin with verse 6 through verse 10 in just a little bit. And as you do that, I want you to think back with me, if, if you share this experience, to when you, were, when you were young, when you were little, and maybe at some point um, your parents had this idea, um, this was a great thing to do with, with children, right? You learn a lot, to plant a garden. Any, any of you ever plant a garden when you were little and you go out? And you, you plant the seeds, you put the seeds into the soil, and you're really excited. This is, you dig up the dirt, you make layers, you make rows, you're really excited. In the morning, you go out and you look, and nothing. nothing. Like, what? <laughs> we did all that, and there's nothing. But, oh, no, you have to wait. There's some time that goes by. So maybe, maybe you persevered a little bit. You watered, and you helped, and a couple days later, you'd go out, and you'd look, and there's still nothing, um, and this goes on, and finally, 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 you see little, little shoots that are popping out of the ground, but there's still nothing to eat. You can't eat the fruit of the harvest. You still have to wait, and so now there's weeding, and there's watering again and again, and you have to trim um, trim your plants, perhaps, or perhaps you have to take out the little ones um, to, to make the larger ones grow stronger, but there's time. It doesn't, it's not instantaneous. And perhaps, perhaps you're one of those rare breed of children that persevered and you never became discouraged. But for most of us, most of us, perhaps we're excited at the beginning and perhaps the prospect of growing our own food is, is a, is a happy one at the beginning. But there comes a time for most of us where we grow weary. We're tired. This is more work than we anticipated. And the results of our work is not coming in as quickly as we would like. And I don't think this is just children. I think most of us can identify with this. Actually, one of the things that comes to my mind is parenting immediately, is all the work and all the time and the waiting up in the middle of the night and the diaper changes and all this. And we're waiting, we're waiting for some results, right? We're waiting for potty training to finish. We're waiting for our, our children to behave better or our children to be able to tell us what they want instead of whine at us, right? So we're waiting, we're waiting for the results. And oftentimes, if you're like me, and I am assuming that you are at least somewhat like me, we're tired. We grow weary. We want to give up. We want the results. We want the fruit. We want the harvest. But the sowing and the weeding and the waiting uh, wears us out. It's tiring. Paul is writing to the Galatians. And I think much of this is, is, is in his mind here too, that this weariness of doing good, um, as we wait for the benefits of our salvation to be fully realized, as we wait for the end of our sin, perhaps you grow weary of waiting for the end of your sin, your own sin problems, as we wait for the end of pain, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, as we wait for the end of relational brokenness, broken relationships, as we wait And we were thinking about this yesterday as we wait for the end of death and the end of the effects of the curse. It is easy to become discouraged. It is easy to want to give up. Persevering is hard. Giving up is easy. Discouragement is easy. In today's text, we are called to live eschatologically. 
What that means is we're called to live with the end in mind. We're looking towards the end. We're looking towards the results of our work because we don't always see it in the now. And although our salvation has been achieved, although we are righteous before God, although our, our, the end of death and pain and sin is guaranteed, we are waiting to realize the full ramification of our salvation. And as we wait, Paul wants us to not give up. Paul's calling us to not lose heart. Living out the Christian life faithfully is difficult, but it is not in vain. Please pray with me as we look at God's word. Father, we are tired people. We are weary. As we look around us, sometimes the results of all of our hard work, sometimes the results of reading our Bible, sometimes the results of praying, sometimes the results of raising our children well, sometimes the results of loving our our spouse, sometimes the results of loving our neighbors, of loving those around us, sometimes the results of even relationships within the church, all the hard work and the labor and the, the good that we do, sometimes those results are delayed. Sometimes we don't see those results. And Father, when we don't see those results, we often are discouraged. We often want to give up. We often want to say, what's the use? We want to throw in the towel. Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, I pray that your people will be encouraged to keep on keeping on, to not give up, to rely on the Spirit, to have faith in your Son. Father, I pray for encouragement for your people today as we look at your word. Help us to persevere. Help us to have the end in mind, even when the now is difficult and hard. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please look at me. Look uh, with me at Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Now let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Paul ended the previous section in verse 4 by saying, verse 5, that we should all carry our own load, but here he makes an exception. So each of us should carry our own load, but the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches. There's an exception here. Why is this so important? Why is it important to to share with your pastor? Why is it important to share with the one who teaches? Well, three reasons, and many of these come from the Galatians um, situation specifically. First, and this is especially true in the Galatians case, um, they've had difficulty with false teachers. And the danger of false teachers is very real, a very real threat, not just for the Galatians, but for our context as well. In their case, false teachers had led them astray from the gospel to something that is not the gospel, led them astray from salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, to salvation by works, that you have to be circumcised, that you have to add something to the gospel. And these false teachers had led them astray. And Paul says right after that you need to support those who teach, he says, don't be deceived. 
There is a, there's a link between supporting those who teach the word to make sure that you have those, that you invest in those who preach the word diligently and faithfully with not falling, falling into false teaching. False teaching had ensnared and enslaved the Galatians, and the threat of false teaching is no less in our days. One of, the, one of the biblical images of a pastor is that of a shepherd. And a shepherd leads and he guides the sheep. Um, he makes sure that they're provided for. In preaching, he, he teaches them the word. He gives them the truth. He proclaims the gospel. But he also protects them from wolves and from predators. So Paul is saying, don't be deceived. And along with not being deceived, part of the way that you're not deceived is to make sure that you're investing in those who preach the truth, that those who preach the gospel. A second reason to invest in those who preach the gospel is that the work of the ministry is that. It's work. In 1 Timothy, Paul says the elders who rule well should receive double honor, especially those who preach and teach, because they ought to have some fruit of their labor, because the work of the ministry, the work of the gospel, the work of of preaching and teaching and leading the people of God is hard work, and those who do so ought to have some fruit of their labor. And third, although pastors have a wide range of responsibility, chief among them, and this is something I really appreciate about Sunset Bible Church and Pastor Jay, but chief among them is preaching and teaching. And the apostles in Acts 6 instituted the the office of deacon for the very purpose so that they could dedicate themselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. That pastors ought to be able to dedicate themselves to that work. And although there are pastors of churches um, in situations where they cannot support a pastor full-time, and sometimes there are pastors who have to work on the side to be able to support themselves and support their ministries, and many of them do that faithfully and well. Um, But faithful preaching and teaching ought to be an absolute priority to us. We ought, as well as we can, to make sure that we have people who are leading us who can dedicate themselves to the study of God's word because we need God's word. We need God's truth. We need to be protected from falsehood, and we need to be fed by the word. And this is something that needs to be a value for us. This is something that needs to be important. The danger of false teaching is a very real threat. It is imperative that we value and cling to faithful teaching of the word. And what we do with our material possessions often reveals our hearts. What we do with our material possessions often reveals our hearts. But Paul moves from this idea that we need to support teachers to a warning that we will reap what we sow. And initially, as I looked at this text, I, I actually didn't really see the connection. It seemed a little bit random to say, support those who teach the word, share all good things with those who preach the word, and then this idea of reaping and sowing. But I believe that these are meant to be connected. Verses 6 through 10 form what we call an inclusio. We have at the beginning, sharing all good things, and the verse 10, um, doing good for the household of faith. So this forms a unit. And the connection here, again, is what we invest in is what we value. That if we invest in preaching and teaching of the word, if we value that, if we invest in that, we will sow the result, we will reap the results of that. If we sow good in the support of our pastors and our teachers, we will reap the result of sound gospel teaching and sound biblical truth. Reaping is also meant to connect so it relates to pastors, 
It's also meant to connect with fruit at the end of chapter 5. So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jay and Pastor Tyler both preached on the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is the result of us keeping in step with the Spirit, of us walking with the Spirit. I don't think it's, it's a coincidence or accidental that he's using sowing imagery here after talking about fruit imagery in chapter 5. That do we want to reap the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh? And Paul's saying we reap what we sow. When we sow to the Spirit, we will reap the fruit of the Spirit. And when we sow to the flesh, we will reap the corruption of the flesh. What we value, what is most important to us, becomes evident with what we invest in. But Paul isn't only thinking of the present. I think there's a both and here. Paul's not only thinking of the present. There's also an eschatological, there's an end times, there's a final judgment element here. When Paul says God is not mocked, the idea is that there are those who, who thumb their noses at God. There are those who sin unashamedly, and they seem to get away with it. Do you see that in our world? Those who, who sin, those who speak against God, those who blaspheme, those who, who continue to do evil, and nothing happens. And they seem to get away with it. Perhaps they're even proud of their evil. But Paul says, no, God is not mocked. God is not made a fool of, although at times, at times, it may seem, it may seem as if the evil prosper. It may seem as if people get away with their sin. It may seem as if people thumb their noses at God and nothing happens. In the long term, there will not be, this will not be so. There will be a time when those who seem to get away with their evil will result, will reap the results, and there will be a time when those who suffer for righteousness' sake will get their, their results. But what does Paul mean here by you reap what you sow? Let me tell you first what he doesn't mean, because I think there's some common misconceptions with this idea. First, he doesn't mean karma. And I, I think a lot of times Christians get reaping what you sow mixed up with karma. And, and karma is actually very contrary to the Christian idea here of reaping what you sow. What karma says is that every good action has a good result, and that every bad action has a bad result. And what this leads to is, that, is every single thing that happens to you, whether good or bad, that you in some sense deserve this. That if you did something bad in a past life, then you'll have something bad that happens in this life. And if you did something good in a past life, then, something, then the good that you're experiencing in this life, you also deserve. Karma is completely devoid of grace. Karma is completely devoid of grace. It says you, you deserve the good, you deserve the bad that you get. And this is not the Christian understanding of salvation. As the book of Galatians has made clear, in terms of our salvation, we reap what we did not sow. We reap what we did not sow. We did not earn our salvation. We did not work for our salvation. We were not good enough to merit our salvation. But yet, we reap the benefits of our salvation because of the goodness of God, because of the grace of God, because of the work of Christ on the cross and in his resurrection on our behalf. We gain what we did not earn. And on the other side of it, and I think this is important as well, we often suffer evil that we did not bring about. We often suffer when we did nothing to deserve the suffering. Sometimes evil is committed against you and you don't deserve it. Sometimes you have pain and suffering and hurt in your life and sorrow in your life, but you did nothing to bring about. Sometimes the righteous suffer through no fault of their own. And sometimes we, like Job's friends, may be tempted to look at Christians who are suffering or maybe even to look at ourselves 
and ask, what did the sufferer do to deserve their punishment? But that's the idea of karma. That's not the idea of reaping and sowing. That's not the biblical idea here. This is not always, karma says you get what you deserve, but this is not always true in this life, and the Bible recognizes this. Second, and this is another misconception about reaping and sowing, this is not health and wealth. Sometimes false teachers will use verses like these. I think this is one of the verses most taken out of context in our, in our, in our world today, in the church today. Sometimes false teachers will use verses like these to prey upon people. They really, they do. They will say, if you give to my ministry, you'll reap financial benefit. You give me $100 and God will bless you with $1,000. You give me $1,000 and God will give you $10,000. There are pastors who live in luxury, flying private jets, who are fleecing their congregations and telling their people, if you continue to give to me, then God will bless you as well. And let me tell you, that's not what Paul means by you reap what you sow. This is clearly not what Paul teaches. Although Paul calls on churches to provide for their pastors and their leaders, the benefits he is talking about are the benefits of the spirit, not material and financial benefits. If Paul was preaching health and wealth, I don't know if you know much about the life of Paul, but if Paul was teaching health and wealth, he was a false teacher. What kind of health and wealth is it when a teacher is stoned twice, shipwrecked, thrown into prison, refuses a salary, and to top it off, has his head chopped off? What kind of health and wealth, wealth preaches that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil? No, Paul is not talking about health and wealth, that if you give to me, that God will give you back in financial benefit. That's not what he means here. So what does Paul mean? Paul doesn't mean karma. He doesn't mean every good thing that happens to you is because of something good that you did or that every evil thing that happens to you is your fault because of something evil that you did. He doesn't mean that if you give to me financially that God will make you rich. These aren't the things he means. What does he mean? I think Paul means, again, as I said earlier, for us to connect this with the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh in chapter 5. If we are to reap the benefits of the Spirit, we must sow to the Spirit. If we are to reap the benefits of the Spirit, we must sow to the Spirit. What is sowing to the Spirit? Well, in the context, one is caring for pastors and hearing the faithful teaching and preaching of the Word. Two, I think uh, as we move on to the, the later verses of this passage, is doing good to all, especially, he says, especially to those in the household of faith. I also believe that Paul is thinking of the fruit of the Spirit. If we're keeping in step with the Spirit, we will reap faith, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. However, if we practice the deeds of the flesh, we will reap corruption or destruction is another way of, of taking this word. And corruption here is, is that which decays and passes away. If we, if we sow to the flesh, if we live our lives to the flesh, then the things that we will reap are things that are passing away, things that are dying, things that are not worth anything in the next life. So reaping and sowing is, I would say, is both now and later, in this life and the next life. I would say there is what I would call an already and not yet aspect to this. In this life, we reap what we sow in that we become what we habitually practice. We become what we habitually practice. If, if we live according to our fleshly desires and practices, we will become more like the world. And our habits and lifestyle will become less like Christ. And if we keep in step in the Spirit, we become more like Christ. And although this will not necessarily make you wealthy and successful, there is benefit to living life this way. There really is. God created us in his image. We are made for him. We find our joy and our pleasure and our satisfaction in him. This is the way that God designed us to live. 
There's a benefit to living life the right way. Let me tell you that a person who is loving, a person who is kind, a person who is patient, a person who can control themselves will have a better quality of life than the person who is hateful, mean-spirited, angry, impatient, and out of control. There is a sense, a very real sense, in which righteousness is its own reward. We're having a biblical counseling seminar in anger. Anger does not reap good fruit. A person who is angry all the time, a person who is out of control, a person who is bitter and hateful, a person who's always irritated, that does not yield good fruit in your relationships, in your lifestyle. It hurts you and it harms you. Righteousness is its own benefit. A person who is at peace is better than, is in a better spot than a person who is not. But there's also a sense in which this is eschatological. But although we have not yet experienced glorification, we have not yet experienced the hope of heaven, this still future, we can experience freedom from sin and fellowship with God now. I see that the Christian life is really, it's a preview of heaven. As we grow more and more like Christ, as we grow in the, in the fruit of the Spirit, as we grow in Christ-likeness, we have a preview of what we were meant to be and what we will be. And we have a preview of our union with God that is in front of us. The Christian life is a preview of heaven. But on the other hand, and this is important, and I really think this is probably the, the biggest um, point that Paul's making here, there is a not yet aspect to this as well. So there is an already. There is a, we do um, enjoy the benefits of keeping in step in the Spirit because righteousness is its own reward. It's the way that God created us to live. But there is a not yet. Sometimes the wicked do not pay for their crimes. Sometimes they get away with it. Sometimes the righteous suffer. Sometimes we work and we work and we work and we don't see the results. But as for the believer... There, the idea that we reap to corruption is the idea that if we are living our life out of step with the Spirit, if we're living our life out of step with the Spirit and in step with the world, then what we are living for has no eternal fruit and no eternal benefit. And it will on the first on the day that we are judged burn up, burn up. And although we are not saved by our works, work have, works have an important role to play in the life of the believer. First, works always accompany salvation. Because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit, there is no salvation without works. Not because they're needed for salvation, but because salvation results in them. And second, we will be judged by our works. If you look through judgments in Scripture, every judgment is according to works. We're not saved by our works, but we are judged by the works. And when we have sowed, what we have, when what we have sowed in our lives is not in step with the Spirit, it is being sowed to corruption. It will not last. And on that day that we stand before God, it will burn up and we'll have nothing to show for it. I want to reread verses 9 and 10 as we get in here. And I I really want, as I read this, to be thinking of of yourself. Because I think most of us are in this place at some time or another. Verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. In due season, we'll reap. If we, if we don't, you could, you could take this, this uh, verse as almost like we don't faint from exhaustion. If you imagine being in a, in a marathon and you're tempted to just give up, you're tired. So then, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those in the household of faith. I want to pause here for a minute. Let us, let us not grow weary of doing good. That's hard, isn't it? Growing weary is easy. 
Giving up is easy. Persevering is difficult. It's hard. And think of this in so many different situations. Maybe, maybe when you hear this, hear this, you think about your relationships with your children, if you're like me in the stage of life that I'm in. Don't, let us not grow weary of doing good. Sometimes we care for our children. We, we teach our children, children. We invest in our children. And we don't see immediate results. And Paul's saying, don't, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. Maybe we're thinking about our relationships with, with family members, extended family. That we, we continue to be faithful, we continue to be loving, we try to be gentle, we try not to return evil for evil, and it just doesn't seem to make any difference or do any good whatsoever. Paul is saying, don't grow weary, don't give up, don't grow weary in being good. Maybe there's somebody that you're sharing the gospel with, that you're witnessing to, and, the, and there doesn't seem to be bearing any fruit. Don't grow weary in doing good. Maybe it's in relationships within the church. It's in Christian relationships because relationships can be hard. And maybe there's a relationship that's particularly difficult for you that you keep trying to invest in, you keep working in, and you don't see fruit. Don't don't grow weary in doing good. Maybe it's in your ministry. I don't know how many of you work and volunteer. I know lots of you do in our children's ministry, or even if you don't regularly uh, volunteer there, you do in our day camps or, or any number of places that we volunteer and sometimes you don't see the results. Sometimes you continue to plug away and you work and you wonder, am I making any difference? Or other ministries that we're involved in. Maybe you work and you work and you invest and you invest and you, and you, you can't help but wonder, am I making a difference? Is it, is it producing anything? Am I just wasting my time here? Don't grow weary of doing good. Paul's saying there's a season for sowing and there's a season for reaping. There's a season in which we invest and we work and we plant. And sometimes you don't see the results right away. Sometimes the results are are very quick in coming. But more often, the results are slow in coming. And don't grow weary. Don't give up. The temptation to give up and throw in the towel can be overwhelming if we lose an eternal perspective. can be overwhelming if we lose an eternal perspective. Having an eternal perspective is not ignoring the hardships and difficulties of this life. It's not denying that it's hard. It's not denying that it's difficult. Having an eternal perspective is a steadfast faith that sees the trials and difficulties of this life, that looks them in the eye, but does not lose hope. It does not give up. It's a simple faith that believes it will all be worth it from an eternal perspective. The Christian obligation to do good here is twofold. First, we are called to do good to those who are on the outside. The Christian community is to do good to those on the outside. This means that we are not to return evil for evil, that we are to seek good for our neighbors, our communities, our nation, and our world. And although this world is not our home and this life is not our destiny, we're called to be ambassadors, salt and light to a dying world. And some functions of, of doing good for those on the outside would include how we act towards our neighbors. And we live in a day where getting to know your neighbors is a little bit more difficult, than I think, than what it used to be. This is something that, that my wife works at, and she works at it hard, but she intentionally builds relationships with our neighbors. And this is part of doing good for those on the outside. You can't be salt and light. You can't be ambassadors to, towards people that you don't know. And you have to, you're seeking to do good, seeking to bless those around you. Um, little things like um, checking in on, on the elderly or ca- caring for people who are around you, uh, getting to know them. Those, this is part of doing good for those on the outside. Caring for the poor. 
sometimes this can be in terms of international um, doing good for people who are, are um, suffering in earthquakes or suffering in famines. I think there's a place for us as believers to seek to, to give our money and to bless people in those situations. Um, working for human flourishing. I think politics is an aspect here where we can seek the good of the world around us. There's a right way to live. There's a right way for our society to be ordered. And there's a wrong way for our society to be ordered. And working for the good for our nation and working for the good of those around us in that way is a function of blessing the world. But, 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 although we should seek to do good to the world at large, and that is a Christian um, calling, that is something that we're called to do, we have a special obligation to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul does not say, do good to the world and do good to those in the church. He says, do good to those in the world, but especially, especially, especially do good to those who are in the household of faith. We have an obligation to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, the lines have been redrawn. Our primary identity and loyalty is not to our nation. It's not to our ethnic or cultural heritage. It's not to our biological families. Our identity and loyalty is to Christ, and his people are our people. Who are our people? The people of God, the church. And I think this is an area that many of us can get discouraged in. I don't know if I'm just speaking for myself here, but sometimes, there have been times in my life, uh, I think in the day and age of, of constant news cycles, right, that we hear about scandal, we hear about negative things again and again and again and again. And it's easy when we see those things happening in the church. We see pastors fall. We see um, Christians not acting like Christians and Christians not speaking like Christians. And we, we, it's tempting for us to say, are these really my people? It's, tempted, it's tempting for us to become discouraged as Christians. It's tempting for us to look at the church and say, well, I love Jesus, I'm not so sure about the church. I don't know if you identify with that temptation. Maybe you've been hurt in the church, and many people have been. This is a real temptation. It's been a temptation for me as well. But God's people are our people. So just like do not grow weary of doing good for those around you. Don't grow weary of doing good for your children. Don't grow weary of doing good for those in the household of faith. The church needs you, and you need the church. Paul says in 1 Timothy... That the one who does not care for his family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And in the context of First Timothy, I think he's talking about the biological family. But I think there's an application to our spiritual family here as well. That Paul and the New Testament teaches that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That we belong to one another. And because we are, we are now in a family, familial relationship with one another, we have obligations to each other. This is not something easily set aside. Ultimately, this is a question of identity. Like any family, we will at times have disagreements. And sometimes these disagreements are strong. We've been blessed in this church. We really have been with unity and harmony for years. But conflict in the church is in some sense going to be inevitable. Um, because the, first, the, sin, the church is full of sinful and fallible people. So conflict is going to be inevitable. Sometimes you will be in the right, and others in the church may be in the wrong. Sometimes it may be the reverse, but you're too blind to see it. Some issues are worth dividing over, like core doctrines. Others, obviously not, like the color of the carpet. But if our identity is in Christ, then ultimately our, our identity is with his people. If our identity is with Christ, ultimately our identity is with his people. Just like you cannot love me and hate my wife, you cannot love Christ and hate his bride. His people are our people. 
I think many of us struggle with that, and we need encouragement. Living eschatologically, living with the future in mind, is not the idea. It's not the idea that we just grin and bear the difficulty of this life. And someday, someday in the future, in heaven, it'll all be worth it. Living eschatologically is also experiencing the blessings of heaven now. The defeat of sin in our life is not just the future reality, that can be real, but it can be realized now as we keep in step with the Spirit and as we experience this fruit in our life. You can experience peace by keeping in step with the Spirit. You can become a more loving person by keeping in step with the Spirit. You can become a more patient person by keeping in step with the Spirit. You can put bad habits to death in your life. You can practice self-control. By keeping in step with the Spirit, by drawing closer to Christ. And these benefits are very real. But we also live in the not yet. We also live in the not yet. I think we're reminded of that as we um, celebrated Karen's life and mourned her death yesterday. We live in a not yet. We live in a world that's still under the sway of the evil one. And because we do, as a result, there still is suffering. There still is pain, and there still is death. We still experience misery of sin in our lives, misery of sin in our relationships, and we we feel the pull of sin in our hearts. But as we groan, I'm thinking of Romans 8, as we groan and we wait on the full realization of God's redemption of his creation, we groan and we wait in hope. We groan and we wait in hope because we know that there will be an end to pain, suffering, sin, and death. Sometimes we are like those children that plant seeds and we don't see results. We don't see corn popping out of the ground. We don't see um, potatoes. We don't see uh, the flowers immediately um, flower and, and, and become beautiful. And we become discouraged. Sometimes we invest Maybe it's in our ministries, maybe it's in our families, maybe it's in relationships, maybe it's with our spouse, maybe it's with any number of things. Sometimes we invest, we do good, and we don't see results, and we want to give up. Giving up is easy. The Christian life is not for the faint of heart. It's hard. We must keep our eyes on the prize. We don't do this by, draw, by trying harder. That's not what Paul is saying. You don't do this by drawing harder. Keeping step in the Spirit is drawing closer. It's drawing closer to Christ, closer to each other. We need to be, need to be faithful in our Christian life to stay in God's Word and to stay in prayer. Persevere in these things. Sometimes you pray and you, see, you wonder, what's the point in praying? I don't feel anything. Sometimes you pray and you don't feel close to God. Sometimes you pray and you don't see prayer requests answered. Persevere. Don't give up. Sometimes you read your Bible. Sometimes you study God's word and nothing seems to make sense to you. Sometimes you read God's word, you hear God's words word preached, and you don't see any application to your life. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Seek God's wisdom for you and his word. Believe that there is um, fruit coming, whether you see it now or not. Sometimes in our ministries and our vocations, we don't see the results now. Sometimes we look at our parenting and maybe we're doing everything right, but it doesn't seem to maybe making any difference, don't give up. Sometimes soil takes a long time to show results. Maybe you're helping in a ministry at sunset. Maybe you're helping in a ministry with your neighbors. Maybe you're, you're thinking of relationships that you're investing in and you don't see results. Don't give up. Maybe there's somebody in your life, in your family, a friend or a neighbor who seems resistant to the gospel. Don't lose heart. 
There's a time for sowing and there's a time for reaping. Now is the time for sowing. God will take care of the results. Lastly, we need each other. We need each other. Although relationships can be difficult and exhausting, God has not designed us to do this on our own. Loving God also means loving God's people. And what that looks like is being faithful in church attendance. It's not a legalistic kind of checking the box that I need to go to church to be a good Christian. It's a coming to church with the, with the understanding that you need God's people and that these people are your people. You don't, go, you don't go to your family gatherings. You don't spend time with your family because it's checking off a box in order to fulfill some kind of obligation. You, check, you spend time with your family because they're your family. They're your people. You love them. You need them, and they need you. It also means being faithful. I'm thinking specifically in our context in community groups. It doesn't mean that if you're not part of community group, you're not fulfilling this. But it means that we need to have regular relationships. It's not just coming into the building. We need to have regular relationship with God's people. Sometimes if, if all we spend, if all of our relationships are people out in the world, we won't be encouraged to, to continue in our walks with God. We need to have relationships with each other where somebody can call us out or someone can pray with us or someone can tell us to keep persevering or someone can be encouraging us. We need that because we're designed for each other. Your, your people are God's people. God's people are your people. We need each other. We need to be faithful in our relationships. We um, Loving God means loving God's people. I hope you're encouraged this morning. I, I think what Paul's point here is that it's so easy to become discouraged. It's so easy to not see results. It's so easy to continue plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. I think Paul, in some sense, is probably even thinking of the Galatians, that he went there. He invested there in, in them. He ministered to them. He preached God's word to them, and he's seeing them walk away from the gospel, and he's calling them back. And I think Paul, and we see this several times in the letter, um, Paul believes that his work was not in vain. Paul knows that God is faithful. And Paul does not believe that the, that the seed that he planted will not reap a harvest. And the same is true in our lives. We do not always see the results. You may not see the results in this life, but God is faithful. And our job is to sow and leave the results to God. And God has told us that we will reap if we sow faithfully. Please pray with me. God, I, I pray for your people. They are your people. And Father, because we're, we're weak, because we are human, and we, we are not strong, we grow tired, and we grow weary, we grow faint, and we want to give up. Father, I don't know what each person in this room is struggling with today. But I, I know that all of us have our struggles. All of us have our hurts and our pains. All of us have things that we are, we are discouraged in. Father, I pray that your spirit will encourage them. I pray that your word will encourage them to keep on keeping on, to not give up, to not lose heart, to not grow weary, because we know that you are faithful. We know that, this, that what we sow, we will also reap, whether that will be in this life or in the next God, thank you that you are faithful, that there is nothing that you tell us that, that is not true. There's nothing that you promise us that, uh, that you do not keep that promise. Help us to rest and trust in you for the results of the work that you've given us and for the results of the, of the work that you're doing in our lives. 
And we pray these things in your Son's name and by the Spirit. Amen.